Greetings, gente puente! In this episode, Danielle Brown of the USCCB encourages us Catholic leaders to consider how the Spirit may be moving us to respond to the sin of racism in our surroundings. Si prefieres español, puedes encontrar un resumen del programa de hoy sobre el pecado del racismo en paticc.com diagonal S19. I'm Patty Gutierrez from Patty's Catholic Corner. Our team strives to serve ministries like yours from behind the scenes. We provide best practices and encouragement with this podcast and our Facebook group, as well as Spanish translation services from a team experienced in Catholic ministry. You can find all the resources mentioned in today's episode and a summary of the episode in English and Spanish in the show notes found at pattycc.com slash 19. If you want to be part of our online community, just look for Gente Puente on Facebook and join the group. When this episode is published, here in the United States, we are about to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So it is the perfect time of year to focus on how the Holy Spirit may be moving us as ministers to respond to the sin of racism in our own communities and as a broader faith community across the entire country. Our nation seems to be divided across ethnic and racial lines, but we are Gente Puente, we look for ways to bridge divides and bring people together. Today's guest, Danielle, is a perfect person to guide us as we consider what that might look like with regard to addressing racism. She is the Associate Director of the Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. This committee led the collaboration for the recently released pastoral letter against racism called Open Wide Our Hearts, The Enduring Call to Love which is now available online and in print in English and Spanish at usccb.org slash racism. On this page, you can also find a ton of educational and parish resources to help your community dive into the topics that are touched on in the Bishop's Letter. Many are already available in Spanish as well, and more are being uploaded soon. In this interview, Danielle encourages each of us, whether we are people of color or not, to read the letter and wrestle with our responses and then help our communities to do the same. She also gives us some great examples of how some bishops and dioceses have chosen to do that, as well as what resources the USCCB has developed to help parishes and schools do it as well. Now let's hear my interview with Danielle. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks for being on the Gente Puente podcast with us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm going to start us off with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we come before you so grateful for the many blessings that you've given us, especially for the gift of serving in your church. We know we are not perfect, and so we thank you for your mercy and for choosing to work through our broken humanity. Lord Jesus, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. Pour out your Holy Spirit as we strive to be gente puente uniting the body of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Danielle, thank you so much for coming. It's a pleasure to get to talk to you today, and I'm excited to hear more about the Bishop's Pastoral Letter and all the resources. But first, can you tell our listeners a little about yourself, your background, your vocation, how you got started in ministry, and what your role is? 
My goodness. Yes. Um, all that at one time. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, which one do I start with? So, yep. My name is Danielle Brown, and I am the Associate Director of the Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism. Um, my background is um, a several fold, actually, um, but I, I won't go you know, I won't go back to birth, <laughs> um, but I feel from the Diocese of, of Detroit uh, by way of Lansing most recently. And that's really where I got my start in ministry, um, working with Renewal Ministries, uh, young adult outreach uh, called ID916, which really focuses on discipleship through the four pillars of uh, orthodoxy, mission, community, and conversion. Um, and mm. it was a really powerful experience um, based in really letting the whole Holy Spirit become um, the driving force in your life and, and discipleship in the Lord. So I was able to start that ministry with uh, Father Mark Rutherford, who's a priest of the Diocese of Lansing. And it really um, turned my heart on and my head on towards ministry. And so I, I did that in my spare time while, while I was um, an associate well, not an associate, a an appellate administrative law judge uh, for the state of Michigan in unemployment and workers' compensation. So I was doing uh, that full-time, uh, wow. doing part-time ministry. And soon, 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 everything uh, that I thought about revolved around ministry. And um, hmm. my ministry became the main thing. And my job was the thing that I did so that I could help fund the ministry and, uh-huh. um, and, and prop myself myself up that way and in terms of paying the bills. Um, But this opportunity came along and I had been praying to to the Lord about, you know, what he wanted me to do in response to how he made me, which is African-American in the United States in this modern century. And, um, and I was just trying to make head, head or tails of um, being in uh, a minority and a minority, (laughs) minority type situation. And, um, yeah, really seeing uh, some gaping holes in the church's ministry, specifically to communities of color. And so when this job description came along, it looked like my red resume mm-hmm. on paper. I've done, you know, politics in the past, worked in a governor's office as assistant deputy legal counsel, um, and had done a lot of work in undergrad, um, working on racial unity. And so Um, This had kind of been in my DNA since my early days back at Michigan State University, and here I am. Awesome. Thank you. Can you tell us in general about the the new pastoral letter and then share a little bit about the resources that you all have developed? Sure. So the pastoral letter is is really uh, the fruit of a lot of work done by um, a lot of most of the committees, uh, every single one of the secretariats and the department's at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops had input in um, the contents of the letter. And so it's really a labor of love. Uh, here we are just about four, just under 40 years after the most recent letter on racism, uh, which was uh, Brothers and Sisters to Us put out in 1979. And uh this letter, like I said, is just the fruit of, of labor of, of all the different departments and secretariats here at the conference. Um, the bishops really saw um, the racial unrest in the nation really starting right around 2013, 2014, um, and the unarmed killing of, of black men and uh, the racial rioting going on in cities across the United States and, and particularly uh, the the 
alt-right marching on uh, Charlottesville in Virginia um, and decided that they really needed a strong response. And so they had been working on the pastoral letter for the past two years and um, knew that they wanted to make a new statement on racism. Uh, But particularly the March on Charlottesville um, made them realize that they wanted to do something further. So they established the Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism um, which is charged with with implementing the pastoral letter. So the pastoral letter, uh, which is now available in print as well, is uh, about 26 pages, and it really goes through um, where we've been in terms of the history of racism in America, um, where we want to go in terms of the history of racism in America, and particularly focuses on uh, the Catholic experience and racism and uh, seeks to to bring those two things together. Uh, we really want people to understand that being uh, Christian uh, is something that is, is totally antithetical to being a racist, that it, it just doesn't fit. And, and this is a continuation of a conversation that the bishops have been involved involved in um, since the 1940s, really. They've been speaking out uh, on racism and and different documents. Um, But this particular document is written in the the design of a Pauline letter. And it it starts with the basis that we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And it calls us forth into understanding that if we understand our identities as men and women in Christ made in his image and likeness, then we all realize that we are, we are his children. And if we are all his children, then we have to be ourselves, brothers and sisters to one another. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that is really uh, the core of the pastoral letter. And it, it highlights the the prophetic witness of uh, people in several different uh, racial and ethnic groups and and calls us forward to walk in their footsteps. Thank you. How would you say this pastoral letter could be carried out or brought to the attention of people in a diocese and maybe in a parish? Sure. So, you know, through my experience, um, the thing that really makes people um, responsive uh, at, at a parish, first of all, is is a priest who's really sort of taken by an idea or a message uh, moved by the Holy Spirit. And, and I do believe that this is a time in our nation where the Holy Spirit is really about sort of forcing the Catholic Church into thinking about things in a new way. And, and thinking about things not in a worldly sense, but in a godly sense and in a spirit-filled sense. And so I, I think at a parish level, if, 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 if all things were perfect, then a priest would hear about the pastoral letter, he would download it, he would read it. Um, he would then take it to prayer, and, the, and, and perhaps he would speak to um, his pastoral team about it and invite them to read it and hold some conversations about it in the midst of a few pastoral team meetings and then perhaps um, inspired by what his team had to say and, and bolstered or, or challenged by what his team had to say one way or the other, he would then uh, ideally start to preach about it. Um, and, and those 
that's the type of um, matriculation that I've seen be truly effective for thoughts and ideas um, and, and Holy Spirit principles and, and kingdom building at a, at a parish level. Um, you know, and conversely, you know, I think one thing that, that modern Christians really have to realize is that we are all through our baptisms, priest, prophet, and king. So, you know, the next time you hear somebody say, well, our priest should do X, mm-hmm. you know, realize that part of your vocation is priestly as well. Part of your vocation is prophet as well. And part of your vocation is king as well. And so, you know, what does it mean to be a priest and a prophet? Well, it means that you are, um, you are sanctioned by the release of the Holy Spirit at, at your back, baptism to do priestly things in the sense that um, you want to be somebody who is is declaring the Lord's kingdom first in your life, next in your family, right? So, so that the the priestly aspect of your baptism gives you authority is what I'm trying to get at, mm-hmm. and and each one of us is is called through that authority. Um, to respond to the Holy Spirit. And, and I think the Holy Spirit would have us all respond to the vestiges of racism in our lives and in our surroundings and figure out how the Holy Spirit would have us respond to it. Um, and, and in terms of being prophetic, you know, each one of us is called to speak the truth in love and in the Holy Spirit and as the Holy Spirit advises and as the Holy Spirit moves us, you know, but, but that really takes a mature Christian. And so, um, you know, you can't talk about any sort of conversion, uh, least of all a conversion as it relates to racism, and, unless you're willing to talk about a total conversion towards Jesus Christ and, and letting the Holy Spirit slowly bring to the surface those things that he wants to reveal and heal in your life and, and through you uh, heal and, and reveal in the lives of others. Thank you. For those who are working in parishes or maybe Catholic schools that are listening, what are some practical, concrete ways that they could take this letter and and what are the resources that you guys have that they could use then to spread the word about this message? Sure. So here at uh, the conference, we've been hard at work um, putting together a set of resources that you can find at usccb.org slash racism. And um, if you scroll down to... Um, resources, uh, you can find several, and you can find uh, several past statements by the bishops as well, but uh, just uh, focusing more on the resources for uh, school um, educators or administrators. Um, We've got several backgrounders just to give people more information on areas that the pastoral letter touches upon but isn't really able to spend a lot of time on. So we've got backgrounders on systematic racism, uh, economic inequality, education, employment, housing, criminal justice, Native American experiences, um, all all combined with the issue of racism. Uh, we've got racism and voting. And then we've got several prayer resources, um, a scripture reflection. We've got two children's prayers and then we've got uh, educational activities for ch- for children from uh, kindergarten through eighth grade. And then we've got uh, four high school activities. And then we've also got an activity for college campus communities. 
Um, so it's, it's pretty comprehensive. And then, you know, after uh, we give uh, people and parishes a little bit of time to, to uh, digest the document itself, we'll be coming out with also a general study guide um, to, to guide questions and answers. But I think that this is hmm. a document that really should be reckoned with firsthand um, rather okay. than looking for some sort of executive summary. Um, and I think it's important that people um, note their internal responses and be honest with them and not be scared by them. Um, you know, if some part inspires fear or sadness or upset, like let that come and let the Holy Spirit um, talk to to you during those moments. Say, Lord, you know, I'm feeling angry at this moment. Can you help me understand that? Can you help me seek healing through your Holy Spirit um, for whatever is causing this anger? Like, let me be aware as you want me to be aware of, of what's happening in my heart and and help me to, to turn it over to you. And so ultimately, if you're in a school setting, you really want to teach your children that process as well. You know, uh, children can, can understand... Um, nothing if they can't understand their own emotions. And most of the time, you know, they really are able to articulate from a very young age what they're feeling. I'm not happy. I'm sad. Okay, why? You know, and and so you want to teach them um, about people's goodness and their dignity. And and you can start teaching them, you know, when something's upsetting or something sad to them to start turning it over to the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit to give them something in return that would um, draw them closer to the heart of the Lord. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit about places that you've already seen starting to implement this or to um, spread the word about this message in their diocese? Yeah, so there have been several dioceses that have really been waiting in patient anticipation for this love letter, um, particularly St. Louis, and I don't think any of us are um in the dark or confused about the challenges that the city of St. Louis have, has had over the last several years and continue to have along racial, um, racial issues. And uh, they are one of the first dioceses where we had a, an ad hoc committee um, led listening session on race and uh, Marie Kenyon is an amazing, amazing leader down there. And she is the um, director of the Justice and Peace Commission. And she and her team put together a a wonderful listening session. And um, they had already been in the process of really reckoning with the, the, the diocesan racial issues. And so now that they've got this document, they're really able to, to bolster Um, their plans for racial unity and the call from the bishops to, to respond um, to the prophetic uh, calls of the letter and, and really concrete ways. Um, And so they're, they're continuing to call together their community and to, to have conversations uh, based on racism. And, and they have been incredibly open to, having conversations even with me based on some of the, um, the letters and the notices that we got out of the listening session um, from people who attended and in terms of following up and saying, yes, we'll look into what happened, even if it was 20 or 30 years ago, let's, let's try and see if we can't do something to either make it right or to um, to seek forgiveness. Uh, the city of St. Petersburg, I'm sorry, Diocese of St. Petersburg, Florida, 
has been doing the same thing. And St. Petersburg has a different face, different racial makeup than St. Mm-hmm. Louis, but still a lot of the same challenges. And so they've been hard at work doing follow-ups and, and trainings in terms of um, teaching people how to speak about race and, and teaching people to to feel safe speaking to their neighbors, um, speaking to the other about racial issues, and, and they continue to work hard at that. Um, so it, there have been several efforts um, in follow-up to, to where we have already been. Uh, certainly this, the Diocese of Brooklyn um, which held a listening session that was was a diocesan one, but but was one that I was able to attend as a as an onlooker. Um, again, has uh, deputized a, a core group of people working on racial justice uh, to listen to the concerns of the people and to make recommendations to the bishops. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I've seen be really fruitful is is when bishops. Uh, realize that they need a consulting group, a uh, group of lay people, and uh, religious who who give him advice on on things um, related to race and ethnicity that he may not be able to give all the time and attention to that he, that he may want. Mm-hmm. So he's able to transfer that um, those those issues to to them and and to deal with them in that that sense. Yeah. We will continue my interview with Danielle in just a moment, but I want to share with you two free resources offered by my company, Patty's Catholic Corner. At pattycc.com slash resources, you can find an ebook that I wrote for people like me who were raised in the prevailing culture here in the United States, but who want to learn more about the Hispanic culture and how the differences affect ministry with the Hispanic community. The other free resources for webmasters of Catholic parishes to help them welcome and provide basic information to people who speak Spanish. They are texts that you can easily cut and paste onto your pages without knowing a word of Spanish. If you or a ministry leader that you know could use these resources, please visit pattycc.com resources to download them for free. Now we continue with the conversation with Danielle. Can you describe what the listening sessions are like? And do you have like an outline of what people have followed? Or is that something that each diocese creates? Sure. So um, every diocese is is free to uh, put the listening session in in a form uh, that their bishop would be comfortable with. But but I keep telling people who uh, call or email and ask about the listening sessions that uh, the way St. Louis did it was really, for me, the gold standard. And and people can send me an email at dmbrown at usccb.org if they want more information on the outline for the listening sessions mm-hmm. at their diocese. But, um, you know, so the Diocese of St. Louis got their Justice and Peace Committee together, and they came up with a list of people who they were aware of who had stories that their bishops needed to hear. Uh, related to race. And they extended invitations to those people. They divided those people into groups um, such as the elders, uh, the youth, the educators, the ministers, and uh, the lay people, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of like a general category, and then had people present those stories there. And in between each group of five people or so, um, they had the group saying there is a balm in Gilead and, and, and it gave us all a moment to kind of 
sing about the healing power of the Lord at the same time as, as we processed what we had just heard. Um, because the stories were poignant and the stories were raw. And even if the stories were 20 or 30 years old, you could still feel the pain that these people experienced uh, mm-hmm. within their voices. And um, once each group was done um, making their statements, um, we collected from the audience all of their written stories and um we did a collective prayer, sending those stories up to the Lord and asking for the Holy Spirit's healing power to come down in that moment and heal those hearts. Um, and then we closed with uh, another song. And uh, then we had uh, time for the people who publicly gave their testimony to speak directly to the bishop, um, which was uh, Archbishop Carlson's own idea. And um, everybody else sort of filed out and had time to talk over coffee and 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 cookies and such. Um, but that was the way that the end that the evening ended for the people who who gave their testimony. And I was really struck by the number of people who came up to me and said, you know, I was really, I really felt vindicated. You know, even if they didn't speak, they were able to see their stories reflected on the stage. And mm-hmm. so many of the people there, and even I. Um, identified with so many of the experiences that I had heard um, that I too felt vindicated, you know, even though this is my job and, and I've mm. been, been listening to stories for, for a little bit of time now. So, yeah, that sounds like a very powerful experience. Thank you. It was, it truly was. So our main audience are Catholic leaders that are connected to the Hispanic community in some way. Do you have any specific advice or examples related to the Hispanic Latino community in this letter, whether that's uh, helping communities be more open and accepting of the Hispanic community or vice versa, using these resources within the Hispanic community? Sure. I think it's important that folks in the Hispanic community um, read the letter and and grapple with it just like every other community will have to. So that's definitely the first step. And if I had to uh, make a recommendation, I would recommend forming small groups. And if there aren't um, already small groups in your parishes, you know, and do whatever comes naturally. So if there's a another family or another person in, in your life, or in your parish that, uh, that you normally meet up with, um, bring the document along um, or bring it up casually in conversation and see if you can't generate um, a sort of conversation around the document. Uh, I think it's important that we start talking about this again um, and not in a way that is unsettling because I don't think that the Holy Spirit means to um, make us lose our peace over this, but I do think that it's time for this to uh, receive some space in our hearts, space in our heads, uh, because it, it, it's the first step towards towards action. And, and secondly, I think it's important specifically for Hispanics and um, the other people of color to form coalitions. And so I would encourage uh, the community, specifically within their their dioceses and within their parishes, that may not um, be completely immigrate integrated, uh, to start reaching across those lines, um, and 
you know, a lot of times it only takes one or two coalitions like that uh, to get everybody else to kind of to come into line. Hmm. Um, so th- there's a lot of uh, churches and dioceses, particularly in the Southwest, well, even more and more in the Midwest, um, who have special uh, special or separate masses uh, broken down, uh, certainly by language, um, but but by ethnicity within the same parish. Mm-hmm. And, and those masses can be a source of beauty for some, but they can be a source of anxiety and anger for others because they don't understand why the parish can't be unified. And, and this is a perfect time and a perfect moment um, to not force people into common spaces, but invite people into common spaces and get them talking to each other, particularly if they're in a parish that does does not have a bilingual mass and, and has masses that are um, that are broken down into to language um, to invite, you know, those that don't typically mix in within a parish to start doing that. That is very important. Yeah, for sure. I think that moment of encounter can break down so many barriers. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this before we move on? I want to ask you some questions more about ministry in general, but did you have anything else you wanted to say? Um, You know, again, I I would just challenge people to uh, let the letter into their hearts and, um, and to read it. You know, I, 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 I think it's um, somewhat sad that, you know, if you, um, ask folks, you know, what a bishop does or, or who their bishop is. If they know who their bishop is, they don't necessarily um, know what he does or know what he thinks about things. And I would just invite folks to read the document and, and give yourself an opportunity to see what your bishops are actually saying and and to, to pay attention to it more than ever because it is their job to teach us and uh, we want to be uh, sheep that l- listen to the shepherd. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Danielle, before we close the interview, I want to ask you, as a leader in ministry, you've been leading ministry in many different aspects now, what's something that you've learned that you could share with other ministers? Sure. Um, That's easy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Self-care, guys. Mm -hmm. Self-care. I I think that the the aspect of self-care is something that you don't uh, really learn about in ministry unless you're um, going through a a formal ministry education program. You know, if if you get called into ministry the old-fashioned way, which is like Acts chapter 1 and 2, that sort of way, they don't give you a manual on um, on, on how to take care of yourself. And, and what I really had to do to figure this out was to steep myself in the gospels and figure out that, you know, Jesus was constantly sort of slipping away and going to pray. And, and Jesus was constantly going away by himself to go pray and to talk to the father. And, you know, I don't know why that, that didn't hit my radar before I got into ministry. Um, but, after I got into ministry and it was almost, you know, when I was hitting a ministry wall and, and I think those of us who have been in ministry long enough know exactly what that is and what that feels mm-hmm. like. Uh, it wasn't until then that I realized and unless I do as the Lord does in, in that really specific sense, I will not have longevity in this. If this is the Holy spirit driving my life and driving my ministry and driving me into more life and into more ministry 
and, and deeper into his heart and, and him calling me to bring people with me, I can't do that unless I'm following his example and resting. And so, you know, whether that means you have a conference that you're going to for work and it starts at seven o'clock in the morning and it goes till 10 o'clock at night, you know, if that means that you get a nap during the break at lunch instead of having lunch, like do that, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if that means that you need to leave a session, you know, 10 minutes early so that you can, you know, have a prayer time, you know, again in the afternoon because you need extra prayer today do that you know the, just the the doggedness with which we have to protect our sleep and our prayer time and our diet and our exercise is is absolutely pinnacle because uh, those weak links are the ones that the evil one really likes to seize upon and he will do it he's not a nice guy <laughs> So um, we have to be on guard and, and not foolish about those aspects of our, of, of our lives because we are human. And I think we forget that mm-hmm. um, when we kind of get wrapped up in the ways of the Holy Spirit from time to time, we forget our humanity and, and just want to do what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. But the, the Holy Spirit will never uh, call us to uh, treat our, our, our Holy Spirit as, as, um, as less than the temple. Um, so thank you. Would you mind to close with a a few words of encouragement for a minister who's listening, who might have hit that wall that you're saying, or just having a difficult time. And then if you would close with a prayer for all those that serve the church, please. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So for uh, those of you who, uh, (laughs) who feel like you're about to quit, um, don't, don't do it uh, because you can't. And our call is to go out and make disciples of all nations. And uh, the Lord can't do that without our help and without our minds and without our spirits being in sync with his. And so your first step right now is to double your prayer time. I do mean it, double your prayer time, because if, if you're burning out, um, the likelihood is that your, your prayer time has fallen off as well. And so whatever you've been able to eke out in the last couple of days, um, get to the nearest Adoration Chapel and sit there for twice the time you've been able to do in the last few days. So if you've only been able to do 15 minutes, find a time, and you have to find a time to spend a half an hour in front of the Holy Eucharist and um, let the Lord just look at you. You don't have to do anything. Just let him look at you and look at him. Don't do anything. Just let him let him look at you and then look at him. Do not give up because he needs your heart. He needs your passion. And he will heal the ways that you've been wounded in the church and the ways that you've been ignored in the church and the ways that you've been put down by the people that you're trying to minister to and the way that you've been forgotten by your peers because you've been so wrapped up in ministry. I know how it feels, but don't quit. So Heavenly Father, we just call upon you right now to bring your Holy Spirit down upon your ministers in the church, and particularly your ministers of color who um, are um, sometimes feeling under the weight of a double oppression, you know, just the the oppression of um, uh, being under spiritual attack for trying to do this good work. 
and uh, oftentimes being on the outs when it comes to um, working in a system that wasn't designed for them. Holy Spirit, I know that you know everything that they're going through, and I know that you want to enlighten their hearts and that you want to lift their spirits, you want to heal their wounds, and you want them to be more than a workhorse. You want them to be more than the person who gets things done in the parish. You want them to be more than a youth minister, more than a DRE, more than a super volunteer. You want them to be your friends. You want them to be your daughter. You want them to be your son. And you want them to be your love. And so let their hearts hear you calling them into a deeper love relationship and a deeper peace and a deeper rest. We ask these things through Christ our Lord, through our Mother of Perpetual Help. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Danielle. I really appreciate you coming and sharing your experience, and I can feel the Holy Spirit moving in you and your ministry. So I really appreciate that you shared that with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Glory to God. What an inspiring interview with Danielle. I just love her emphasis on letting the Spirit lead our ministry. Here are some key takeaways. Number one, racism and Christianity are incompatible. We are each sanctioned by our baptism. We've been given the priestly authority to speak up against sin and proclaim God's kingdom. But, like Danielle says, that requires Christian maturity and a continuous conversion on our part to follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit's guidance. Number two, read the letter. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I am often guilty of what Danielle said, looking for the boiled down talking points version of church documents. But she is right. There is nothing that compares to taking the time to read them and grapple with what they stir up in us. So let's start with the most basic first step. Read the letter. (laughs) Number three, once we've read the letter and let the Holy Spirit work in us and on us, it's time to let him work through us and share the message with our faith communities. Like Danielle said, it's time to start talking about it again. We owe it to our communities and our nation to rise up as gente puente and find ways to bridge the divides of race and ethnicity. Check out the many resources that the USCCB offices have collaborated to provide at usccb.org racism. If you are a diocesan leader, consider approaching your bishop about hosting a listening session and or forming a body that is empowered to bring these issues to his attention and help him address them, as Danielle mentioned. Number four, invite people into common spaces. I think this is a key piece of advice for those who lead ministries with the Hispanic community. The best way to bridge divides within a diverse Hispanic community, as well as within a diverse parish community, is to create opportunities for people to encounter one another. When we come together and we can get to know each other on a personal basis and see each other as human beings, hearts are changed and we can find ways of working together so much better. Number five, do not quit. I just love Danielle's encouragement for ministers who are about to quit. Simply put, you can't. (laughs) Isn't that so true? When God calls you into ministry, it's something that can never really be undone. I have found that to be true for me. 
Even though I transitioned out of direct ministry during this season, I found myself quickly called into ministry in a different way through this podcast. But for this to be a long-term mission, we have to pay attention to our self-care and steep ourselves in the gospel, like Danielle said. Check out episode 14 with Sandra Navarro, where we dove deeper into the topic of self-care for ministers. I hope you found this interview helpful for you and your ministry. Don't forget to visit the show notes with all the resources mentioned in this episode at pattycc.com slash 19. As always, I look forward to seeing you in our online community in the Gente Puente Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Gente Puente or search Gente Puente to join. And also be sure to subscribe to the Gente Puente podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future episode. Thanks for listening today. May God bless you and your ministry as Gente Puente. Gente Puente.